You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What should I say this week is? Because it's not a, it's not like a, it's a bit of everything. I'm going to say that it's a bit of everything because it's not a, yeah, it's not a preview, it's not a hundred because it's just a bit of everything. It's just a bit of everything. Bit That's everything. fine. And that's, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with this podcast being a bit of everything. Hello and welcome to Rainstock Play. This week we'll be looking at a bit of everything in the cricketing world. No massive preview, no massive review. We're just going to chat about the big stories in cricket in a minute. I'm joined by Will. It's just you and me this week, Will. After Zach so wonderfully manned the ship last week, I must say, on a very good episode. Um, how are you? I, I hear you're wearing a wound, a cricketing wound. What's happened? I am. Um, I, I tried to make the most of what has been a really terrible summer in the UK. And, and just in case the weather never improves, we, we dashed out uh, yesterday evening for a, what could be a, a last net session of the summer. Um, and it was it was probably a mistake. The light was fading. Very difficult mm-hmm. to see the ball. Um, and I, I, I took a took a full toss just above the glove um so i'm nursing a bruised wrist uh full toss above above like hitting you above the glove is like that's a beamer that's that's just not fair that's a clear i'm not i'm not a large man to be honest so it probably was still hitting the stumps um but (laughs) but nonetheless right so just me and will today so we'll be looking uh at the hundred a little bit later sort of chatting about the two finals and the tournament as a whole how well it's gone Uh, we'll look ahead to the test match that starts on wednesday as well few new injury concerns coming out of that um, and we'll chat about the Royal London one day cup final because I've got a lot of feelings about it uh, but the biggest story at the minute Will I think we're both in agreement on is the Azim Rafiq story that's been bubbling around for a long time now like at least a year but it's starting to come a little bit above the bubbling section at the minute I think uh, especially with the test match heading this week um, and the report which was sent to Yorkshire uh, they received on Saturday morning but they're still delaying the actual release of it publicly. Um, it's believed that most of the allegations of institutional racism at the club have been upheld. But again, we don't know that yet. They have also apologised for what they called inappropriate behaviour, which I think has rightly annoyed a lot of people, uh, Rafiq included in that. Um, 
so let's have a chat about it, Will, because this is going to be the big story this week, I think, even with the test match going on. And with it being at Headingley at, at Yorkshire's home ground, that's that's going to be something interesting to talk about. Joe Root's come out today and sort of, I don't know, he he played with Rafiq, he was his teammate, and he says seeing the, the recent videos of him clearly upset by the situation, like even more so than I think he was previously, has hurt Joe Root. It's going to be an interesting week seeing this. And I just wonder what your thoughts are on it, Will, on, on what Yorkshire are doing or not doing, what the ECB are doing or not doing at the minute and where this might be going over the next few weeks. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot to tackle. So we'll, we'll spend a little bit on it. But I think the first place to start is with that Yorkshire statement that came out uh, nearly a week ago now, where they confirmed that they'd received publication of this report, which has been supposedly conducted by an independent um, investigator. Of course, it's one that's been selected and paid for by Yorkshire. Uh, mm. So that's its own problem. That report has been passed to the executives at Yorkshire now, but they've re- refused either to publish it or even until the middle of last week to send it to the ECB, who have now had to publicly demand a copy so that they can see the report in full. Why does that matter? Well, for two reasons. One, that the statement they put out immediately afterwards, as you said, was immediately rejected by Rafiq himself because it was not an apology on any level. Mm. Um, it, it it hinted at the fact that the report will likely uphold lots of his complaints, but it didn't give us any idea of, of which ones, how severe they were. And then, as you said, it used this obfuscatory language, this euphemism for what we mean, racism. Exactly. It decided to call inappropriate behaviour. So that's that's the first problem, that they were sort of trying to use this as an opportunity not for reflection, but to get their PR spin out first before we could see the whole report. And the second reason it matters is because Yorkshire is determined to treat this as what they call an internal matter, which in a sense is true, obviously, because it relates to several members of staff who are still at the organisation. And that's one of the things that Rafiq himself is very keen to highlight, that this is these are not historical complaints. They relate yeah. to you know, the second half of his career as well, and people who are still at the organisation. Um, in fact, that there's a very good ESPN Crick Info piece, which everybody should read, has lots of detail on it. And one of the things they highlight in there is that it's believed that at least one member um, of the current England setup, the England pathway system, is also named in witness statements, although we don't know in what way or, or, or what those allegations are. But instead of reflecting on what this means for the wider game for the state of racism in cricket and in society they are determined to treat this as a sort of hr matter which anybody who has probably ever had to deal with hr in any organization (laughs) (laughs) knows is not going to get you a good outcome particularly on the issue of race discrimination Um, so i think those are the two big pillars that have been really disappointing from yorkshire and it'll be interesting to see where we go from here because the ecb are clearly not happy with yorkshire's response they want their own oversight but so far haven't announced any action on it um joe root as you said put out quite a good statement today which which you know stood in solidarity with rafiq and and gave him lots of sympathy but also didn't really highlight any action that the players feel they need to take at this point in time so we'll have to see where we go from there and whether anybody actually is following up on it behind the scenes. Rafiq, in his first statement, called on politicians and parliament to intervene as well. So far, to my knowledge, no members of parliament have done so. Mm. So there'll be lots of people around the game and around sporting society who who will be looking at this very closely. But so far, none of those players seem to be moving, at least in, in public. And that's what we need to wait in and see for. Yeah. Do you feel like the ECB have 
not reacted as well as they should have as well. I know, like you said, they're angry with Yorkshire and they've been called, they're now calling upon them to give them a copy and to kind of publicly announce this and show everybody it. But it also feels like it took Rafiq another like round of interviews and another traumatic retelling of events for the ECB to kick themselves into gear a little bit. I don't think for me they've been quick enough. I don't know what you think. Yeah, I agree with you. I they probably haven't done enough. And their response... Again, it kind of smacks of the same principles as Yorkshire's in that they want to put out a public statement so that they look good and they get the PR side right. We don't know what they're doing behind the scenes, but certainly people will rightly want much firmer action. Um, and, you know, it, in a way, it's difficult because compared to similar organisations, you know, compared to the, the Football Premier League or to American franchise organisations, the, the sporting relationship between the ECB and its clubs is slightly more archaic and complicated. Um, so it's not entirely clear what they're powers are in that area but certainly when you look at players who are found guilty of these kind of allegations they're rightfully suspended they get their match appearances fined you know they have punishments on the field side of things uh, so it's very weird to me that that doesn't even seem to be being discussed with Yorkshire as a club yeah. um, that there should certainly be on-field penalties particularly if people who are still currently working at the organization are found to have been involved in these sorts of things like that that seems to be bare minimum number one we need heads to roll because if, if people are, you know, if specific people have engaged in very clear demonstrable behavior, then that's that's substantively different to this sort of general sense of, oh, we need to improve as an organization. Everybody gets that bit. Mm -hmm. But if you find specific allegations by individuals who are still there, then those heads need to roll. But then the, if that doesn't happen, the ECB need to have some kind of power to penalize on the field so that the club is you know encouraged and forced to, to make those changes. It's just like... It's just the way they're not releasing it. And then it's taken them... I think Rafiq's first um, sort of claims were made a year, over a year ago or coming up to a year ago now. And I think it's in the ECB's own doctrine that these things need to be looked at in a timely manner. And this is not a timely manner. And it keeps getting rehashed. And Rafiq is just like basically pleading at this point. Um, and you can see how, what it's done to his mental health um, and his whole life post-cricket now. And it's just like, why aren't they giving us the report? Why aren't they making it public? Something's, something's going on here that I think is making the situation even worse. Definitely. And, and the longer that goes on, the more we're forced to conclude that the report is, is as damning as we could possibly exactly, imagine. Exactly, right? The more we wait for it, the more damning we think it's going to be. Exactly. And, and, but, and, and in a way, that is an indication that this is why they're so keen to hide it. We can't really right. conclude anything else at this point. Um, and, it, and it is worth kind of just going slightly deeper on, on what exactly might end up in this report. Uh, because you're right, it's a, it's a year's worth of uh, complaints from Rafiq. Well, go, dating over several years, but, but the complaints back over a year ago now. Yeah, yeah. But it's also a much longer story. So um, we've had reports that even Adil Rashid back in 2017 told Yorkshire bosses that he was concerned about the treatment of individuals at the club based on race. Uh, we also have a much, much longer um, problem with this in English cricket that has been reported by many, many uh, people. Michael Carberry played about six tests for England, something like 10 years ago. And when he was dropped from the team, um, he has subsequently said that he thinks institutional racism is to blame for that. And that cricket has a whole, has a huge problem with that. Looking even further back, in 1995, there were 33 black cricketers on the county circuit. In 2019 season, there were nine. Wow. So there's clearly a bigger, bigger problem here institutionally. It's probably related to lots of other things. You know, we, we've, we've spoken uh, just on the last podcast about the, the, the lack of black and Asian people in the England test team, but also um, 
you know, the, the, the number of privately educated members of that team. It's, it's virtually the most socially exclusive group of people outside of the House of Lords. Mm. Uh, coming on the back of 10 years where lots of schools have had to cut back on on sporting uh, equipment, sell off playing fields, all this sort of stuff. So so in a way, none of these are isolated problems. They're all related, uh, but, but none of them particularly seem to be tackled with any urgency. Um, and even going back um, about 10 years ago, The Guardian's recently published this really interesting article with three uh, members of old England under-19 squads, uh, including one from the 2006 team that had Moeen Ali in it. Yeah. Uh, and they just and they just compare. So they did an interview with these these three uh, black cricketers, Mark Nelson, Chris Thompson and James Pearson. And they compared their first class records to the average among the other 10 players that played with them. And it's really, really stark. And obviously you can't draw any conclusions from necessarily from one individual. But when you put the numbers this starkly, it tells a story. So Mark Nelson, of the other 10 players who played in that team with him at the under-19 level, they averaged 98 first-class games each. He played seven. In Chris Thompson, the other 10 averaged 104 games. He played one. And the other 10 for James Pearson played an average of 118, while he played eight. Wow, that is stark. It's stark and it's over three cohorts. And when you put that together with other testimony from, from players over the last 10 years and contemporaries of Rafiq, you put it together with this general sense of decline that there are just somehow fewer black and Asian cricketers around the England setup than there were even 20 years ago. You start to get a picture that goes back to what we said before, that this is not a Yorkshire problem and it's wrong to treat it as that, even though it's absolutely right to focus on their own behaviour where it's been clearly bad. But there's a much deeper problem there as well. Yeah, it's a mixture of the two. And that's maybe why I think, as you said earlier, like Yorkshire trying to treat this as an HR problem, which to an extent there are issues in the club, but then there's this wider picture. And I think it's going to be a really interesting week um, with the test match at Headingley and what Sky are going to do. And I think Rafik has called upon Sky to kind of really take a moment in, in the next test match to talk about this properly. And it'll be interesting if they do or not, Will, because I think Rafik himself has said that Sky's done a great job with this. And I think the platform they gave uh, Michael Holding uh, and Ebony Ray for Brent last year at the West Indies series to chat about the Black Lives Matter movement and what was going on this time last year. Um, it'll be interesting if Sky do that again with this and, and how deep they can go into it. Obviously, with it being an ongoing inquiry, they might be a bit more cautious, but you've got to hope they sit and talk about it for a decent amount of time, whether it's a lunch break, a tea break, hopefully something a bit more significant than that. But what do you think might happen this week? You have to hope so. I'm personally not at all confident that they will. Yeah. Um, I think part of that is is the time that's passed and the way that cricket's media ecosystem doesn't necessarily build pressure on broadcasters to do that you know many of the main voices and influencers in the cricket media conversation are the ex-players who have very good relations with the clubs and current players who now have their sky or bbc contracts which makes it all a little bit insular and there's just generally less interest in these kind of stories in the wider media you know if you could if you imagine a, a football story of similar magnitude you know a, a club a player taking manchester united to court over racial discrimination that would be on the front page of national newspapers yeah um which it, which it isn't in this case and therefore i think there's less of a sense among the broadcasters that it's an unavoidable issue to talk about yeah so i'm not confident but i'm very very hopeful that as you say that that, that they will allocate time to it because i think it's extremely important um that we put that right at the top of the conversation not secondary to the cricket or like in a little rain break we might have a chat um, <laughs> but but right at the forefront and that's and that's why we're talking about a top here because it is it is clearly the most important um issue the last point that, that i want to say on this before we can uh, we can move on to the hundred is that 
it's not just, as we said, it's a Yorkshire problem. It's also a cricket problem, but it's also a much broader social problem that, that the actions of one club have an impact on. So we've mentioned, you know, it's an HR thing is, is a sort of, it's a kind of joke because we all know how terrible HR is with dealing with these issues. But in a very literal sense, it is also an HR thing. So we, we, yeah. we treat cricketers as though, well, they're living the dream. They're basically doing their hobby. They get connected to clubs for a bit and they play all over the world and this sort of stuff happens. But they're also members of staff with an employment contract to an organisation and an organisation which employs many, many, many people outside of their stars on the pitch that you get to see. And you have to imagine that if you're a young black or Asian member of staff at Yorkshire, whether you're in you know, research, scouting, press, catering, cleaning, whatever it may be, and you see your employer treating another employee the way that they have, and that that employee is the star on the pitch who they know is going to get massive media attention if there's a complaint, it can't give you any confidence that you're going to be treated in a fair way either by that employer. So that's why it's so important that they get this right. Yeah, well said, well said. It goes very much deeper down. And we've just got to sit and wait now, haven't we? That like, what else are we going to do? Uh, we'll be sure to link those two articles we've been talking about. So the ESPN Quick Info one and that Guardian one you mentioned, Will, uh, we'll make sure it's on our Twitter and in the episode page because uh, the ESPN Quick Info one especially should just give you, if you haven't heard about this, we want to read more about it, a really good grounding in what is going on. And then you can be ready for whenever we finally hear this report. Uh, good stuff, Will. But let's get on to the 100, as you said. There's been two finals took place this weekend. I watched none of it. I hate to say it. I've been away this weekend. And, uh, you know, I hate to come on a podcast and not see any cricket. But I haven't. I've watched the highlights. I'll do the best I can. I think, Will, you watched a decent amount. Um, let's start with the women. Uh, your Invincibles, they won, Will. You made the right decision to change them. You were there for the first game ever. Um, to see them win and they won again they won an unbelievable final by the way I was getting text messages on the day saying oh my gosh Southern Brave are like a, a 17 for 6 was it their, at their worst I might go and double check that um, but the Invincibles won by 48 runs in the end posting 121 uh, and then bowling the Southern Brave out for 73 player of the match obviously Marizan Cap, who not only had 26 of 14 but she also took 4 for 9 uh, I think took a really good catch. She might have taken two, to be fair. One was a memorable one. She had an unbelievable game. Um, and it was it was a bit of a crazy final, Will. I'm not sure it's the final we all wanted because I think in a final, you kind of want a good total to be chased, maybe. If, if you're a total neutral, of course. I'm sure Invincible fans, of which there are many, are shouting at the podcast now saying, Dan, no, we're very happy to see this. But you see what I'm saying. But it was very entertaining. Um so to chat about the final a little bit, I guess. But also, like, we can go on to the bigger discourse stuff. We can weave it in because I was just looking at the attendance for the Women's 100. Uh, I think they announced it today. that 267,000 people attended women's matches in the 100, which is the highest attendance for women's cricket event ever, um, beating the previous record of 136,000 people at the T20 World Cup in 2020. So it's pretty huge, Will. And it was, it was a fascinating final. I know it wasn't the one we all wanted, but it was fascinating to see... And what a tournament for the women. I mean, it looked like an absolute adventure. I think everyone within it, I think Charlotte Edwards, the Southern Brave coach, a lot of people just saying, what what are four weeks it's been? Yeah, it's been amazing. And, and like we said right at the start, part of the great thing about this tournament, giving such publicity to the women's game, is that you get introduced to, to loads of different players that we didn't know too well before or that we'd heard of but hadn't had much of a chance to see play live. And then over the course of a month, you know, the narrative happens and the discourse happens and, and you know, you, you get to know all these personalities and and it has been been great in that regard. The final was really interesting because I think it'll be a great test of the question we asked at the start of t- the tournament about whether good cricket or entertaining cricket is more important. 
and, and, and at times I think um, Zach and Glenn in particular on this pod have said they want you know all of the pitches should be easy to get a very good score on because that's what people want to see and this final was the complete opposite of that it was a really entertaining game of cricket but nobody could make a score um, so I watched the first innings and you know yeah Oval just about clawed to a defensible score it was um, it was just a bit it, of a plod that though wasn't it like it wasn't like thinking not knowing what was about to come it was just a bit like oh my gosh like like 120 is just a bit barely overrunnable you kind of want 130 as a, as a par don't you exactly it was a bit of a plod and also nobody really scored anything notable there were there was like three or four players who got about 20 and that yeah. was somehow enough to get you a par score they got um, lauren bell who was one of the best bowlers uh, for southern brave did the interview at the change of innings and she had you know a big smile on her face she'd done really well and she said she, she She's quite, you know, she's a young bowler. She probably answered the, the question from the broadcasters a bit too much honesty because they asked her if she thought this was a good score. And she said, yeah, I think we've done well. I'm really confident our bats, batters can chase this. <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, chaos ensued. It all fell apart um, in quite entertaining fashion. That Marazan Cat first 10 uh, was, was was amazing. You just don't see that in any form of cricket, you know, men or women. It, it was unbelievable. And the, and the Brave were dead from there, really, weren't they? And I was just, I'm just looking at the, at the final table now. Um, obviously, Southern Brave women had an unbelievable regular season, we'll call it. I'll go All-American on it. Winning seven and losing one. To then lose a final like that, that's got to hurt so, so much. That's like, in a football context, like losing the playoff final after finishing third on, like, a lot of points and then getting beaten by the team that just snuck in. Yeah, exactly. They'll definitely be kicking themselves. They... We- Again, we we said it before, but our predictions were very heavily in favour of the Southern Brave way back at the start of the season, even after the the draft. God knows how many months or years ago that was. Um, and they got all that way to the final and, and couldn't close the deal. Um, but to be fair, we we do have to say they they've been excellent throughout the tournament. Yeah. Um, they probably are still the best team to watch if these if these teams come back in similar shape uh, for next season. Um, so I think they they can't be too disappointed with themselves. That's one thing I can't wait to find out because I think now even just one season in eight games each per team, we kind of know which franchises are good and bad, right? The Welsh fire on both sides really weren't that much fun. Um, the London Spirit men were awful. Uh, you know, the, the women's the table is a lot closer actually with a lot of teams winning three and a lot of teams winning four. But I was wondering how much of these squads will be kept together. You know, in the IPL, we have, we kind of, it's my only franchise I can reference really the core players that stick around and new ones coming in and out. Do you reckon we're going to see that with, with the women's and the men's? Yeah, I'd assume so. And there'll definitely be some great big questions for the teams who had international players pull out, had to get replacements in, and then the replacements mm. were quite good. Um, exactly. Interesting decisions. Um, the other thing that the IPL tends to do, albeit this is usually because their teams become disgraced by some sort of legal scandal, <laughs> um, but franchises do just disappear entirely. Um, I wonder if Welsh Fire might eventually give up the ghost and Glenn can finally get his Taunton team. I, I mean, for a neutral, I think a packed out Taunton with a with a hundred franchise would be a lot more exciting than Sapphire Gardens. And I know they had a lot of restrictions in Wales that England didn't have for at least a three quarters of this tournament. But yeah, we could lose Welsh Fire. How about Somerset Fire? Southwest Fire? I don't know. That's for another podcast. So congratulations, Oval Invincible Women, uh, the inaugural winners of the 100. And it was, as I said, well, you were there. Dame Van Niekirk on that first day was unbelievable. And there she was at the end lifting the trophy. So well done to them. And it was nice to have two of our teams in the final for that one, as well as in the men's final. Of course, the Birmingham Phoenix uh, versus the Southern Brave. 
this was a brutal game again the Liam Livingston run out was was haunting it was really haunting it clearly changed the game and all the neutrals wanted to see Liam Livingston battle it let's be realistic um and he was going along just fine uh, but in the end, Brave won by 32 runs. They posted 168 for five, thanks to Paul Sterling's 61 from 36, and Ross Whiteley's 44 from 19. And that took them from like a really, you know, like a 130, 140, which on that pitch would have been good, to a really good 168. And Birmingham were on their way a little bit, Will, I thought. Liam Livingston was 46 off 19 before we got run out, sort of innocuously. And then the game just petered out into a bit of a bit of a mess toward the end because Birmingham obviously never going to get there um, so Southern Brave you know the clear favourites before in the men's tournament did it in the end they were an unbelievable team probably rightful winners I think despite how much fun Phoenix were to watch uh, but another successful tournament for the men this was really fun this was a little bit more fun for a final I thought um, and it was just a shame about that run out I'm, I'm going to think about a run out for quite a long time I think when we talk about the 100 yeah I definitely will because it, it was like the moment you felt all the oxygen in the ground just disappeared because he, <laughs> he came in and, you know, Moen, Moen came in first and then Smead, who unfortunately has had a bit of a tough time of it. He just didn't look at home at all, scored a two off a handful of balls and then got out. He was but so then, good at the start of the tournament as well. And then he's just had a bad, he had a really bad semi-final. Oh, we didn't play in the semi-final. I think he had a really bad last game of the season and then a really bad final. But he had a great, he had a great season. He had a, yeah, he did have a great start. He all just seemed to slightly fall apart and he, he, he was one of those who came out and, Somehow, even though he started well, seemed to have lost the confidence to understand how to play in this in this competition. Um, he got very stuck between whether to hit it or or, or mm. be a bit more controlled. Mm. Um, but then finally, as a result of that, R.I.P.'s Mead, we got the Moeen Livingston partnership, which was what oh. everybody in the ground was there to see. I, I kind of find it weird that this you know this whole test squad thing. Now that there are no bubbles, we're allowed to just let Moeen drive to Lords for a final and then come back to Headingley. If we were <laughs> going to do that. Couldn't he have played earlier? Exactly, really exactly. Um, particularly for those who were in and around the test squad but didn't even play. I don't really get why they couldn't. Anyway, they were there. It was going great. It's the complete opposite of the women's final because um, Southern put up a massive total, mainly on the back of Sterling with some incredible batting. Mm. Um, and then obviously have probably the tournament's best bowling attack. So you were, you were feeling very, very confident at this point. Um, and just that partnership started to tilt it. Livingston hit... What did, he, what did he end up with? Something like 48 off 20? 46 <laughs> off 19, and he was ticking. Four fours and four sixes, striking it at 242, you know, as you do. And they were big sixes as well. There were a couple brilliant ones just after he'd got in, which he launched into a box and nearly hit someone's pint out of their hands. Um, <laughs> so that was very good fun. Um, and that, yeah, the, we do have to say a word on that run out because <laughs> run outs are always a kicking yourself way to get out, but that was particularly poor because he, he hit one you know at first you were like oh could this go for a six and it didn't it dropped inside then it could it should have been caught but the yeah. further fell over yeah and you're thinking okay we've got away with one here just just stand still you're in a crease you've run one give up Stay for, some reason, for some reason they thought he's blundered it we can get a second and to be fair great great throw in the field um and off he went and he was absolutely furious there were some fantastic memes that came out from it afterwards mm. and pictures of him with the uh, hello darkness my old friend uh, <laughs> over the top he did look extremely dead inside. Moeen, after that, tried to give it a go, but they were chasing something like 90 or 40 by that point. Um, and then it just petered out. And, and Southern Brave, in the end, very, very worthy winners. And it was, it was that bowling attack, attack that won it. And it was that bowling attack that won it for Southern Brave. Um, I'll talk about that in a second. But yeah, 
whatever the score is needed, if Liam Livingston's in with the summer he's having, you thought it was doable. I think the whole crowd did, and they wanted to kind of see that. But yeah, as soon as he fell, that was over. I've done that before, actually. I was at the non-striker's end when this happened. I was playing for school, and my mate, who's like the one recognised batsman left, and we, all we need to do is go about run a ball, has hit to like long on, who's dropped it, and like we've turned to go for the second. I've seen it. I've gone, yeah, get in there. We've got like, like pat him on the back. And then I got run out and we lost. So an awful day. I also dropped three catches in the field like prior. So it was a really, really bad day. Anyway. Is this the end of your career? That was pretty much the end of my career after a week after it started, unfortunately, like early school days. That was fun. Um, but this Southern Brave bowling attack, I think Tom Al Mills needs a huge shout out. He was... One for 13 in this final um, off his 20 deliveries. At one point, I think he, dropped, he bowled five dots in a row at, at like a very crucial stage of this innings. And with Joff Arch injured and Mark, Mark Wood's fitness always in doubt, we'll come on to that in a minute, he, for me, has to be on that plane um, for the T20 World Cup. I, like He's been out of the England side for a while. I don't really know why. I think he's had a lot of injury and um, he hasn't even played for Sussex that much. But I thought throughout the really important games of this, um, hundred season that I've seen, seen him play. I thought he was really good, and I want to chat about Benny Howell as well after. But he might be a little shout to get on the plane, the box of tricks. Yeah, I think that's that's a really good point. And one of, one of the interesting things about this tournament is going in because it's not quite a T Twenty, but also mm, it basically is. Exactly. You know, there, there was an open question about how much of an impact would this have with respect to England questions and and the wider picture. Um, and in the end, it absolutely has, because one of the main narratives to come out of the final was that everybody knows Livingston and Mills need to be probably not just on the plane, but really key parts of that England spine for the World yeah, Cup. Exactly. Um, do you want to do you want to give Howell a shout out? He definitely deserves it. He's just like he. I, I can't remember what his county is now. I want to say Gloucester or something. Anyway, I watched him play against Sussex once, and I was like, oh, this guy's just such a bit part medium pace. Like, who is this geezer? And he was winding me up because no one could get him away, and then. He was on my team this year, so I didn't get that angry at him. And then you watch him in that context, and he really is the middle overs box of tricks. His knuckleball, keeper up to the stumps. I think he and he, he can bat a little bit as well. So I think he could be a good asset for this England team. I think only 15 are traveling to the World Cup um as a squad, as like the final squad. So I don't know whether he's quite good enough to fit in in that short of a short list. But I think he's got to be around the England squad, you know, potentially. It might be a bit late for him now because he's not been bedded in, but he had a great tournament um, and Livingston just carried on his unbelievable summer. So good for him. And he's obviously in that England 11 now. That's how big a summer he's had. He definitely is. And not only that, they are in a crucially important 11, which is Winston men's team of the tournament. Uh, how are they both, does are they make both his way in, in there? there? They are both Where in they, there. What, what, what position do they have, Matt? Like six? I'll be honest, they've not numbered it. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Oh, low. Yeah, it's not bad. I mean, when it's a dream team, you can just put whoever in. Who else was in that out of interest? Let's let's we can shout out some other right. players of the tournament. I'm guessing Decock's got to be in there. Yep. Mills. Yep. Uh, okay, go, guess guess your guess your openers. My openers would be Decock and oh, I'd put Smead in there, but that's me being. Oh, Correct. is it Smead? Correct. Uh, at three. And Livingston's at three. Was Moeen at four? Moeen's at five. You got Northern Superchargers batter at four. David Willey? Nope. That, that's, that's, that was a big stream. That was sorry, that was a bit much. Uh, oh, Brooke. Brooke. Brooke was played, very good. Played just five matches, but still managed to finish as the Northern Superchargers leading run scorer. How come he only played five? Was he injured? No, 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 they dropped him. Is there? 
have been a drop today. Must have got injured. Must have got injured. Must've. Okay, moment, moment at five. Right, five. Six. Trent. Trent. Gregory? No. Sammy Patel. Sammy Patel. Patel. Yeah, he had, a, he had a really good tournament. And, and you always see him get picked up for like the PSL. I'm not sure if he plays in the CPL, but you understand why now. After getting to see him play eight times, yeah. he was good. So, okay, he was at six. Seven... We had no, Benny Howe was at eight. Yeah, we'll uh, so who's at, who's at seven, Will? Got Ross Whiteley at seven from Southern Brave. Yeah, he had a great final. Eight, so you got eight was Benny Howe. So you got nine, ten, eleven. I want Imran Tahir to be in there, but I don't think he, I don't think he's actually that good enough. He just had the, the moment of the tournament for me. He's not in it. He should be in it for the celebration alone. Exactly. Uh, oh, yeah, exactly. Rashid Khan? Rashid Khan doesn't even make it. Yeah, to be you fair, know I mean, I'm look, I'm he looking at that great tournament. I'm looking at a ridiculous pair of stats from the two that got in. So it's it's a competitive field. You got uh, a leggy. I got a leggy. Oh, yeah. Lintot. Nope. By the way, shout out to Lintot for doing the Jesse Lingard celebration after getting a wicket in the in the final. I believe he's a PE teacher, you know, or just I know you might not be a PE teacher. He's just a teacher, and he's just bowling unbelievable left arm leg spin for the the winning franchise. Good for him. No, you're missing okay, the most I'm obvious. I'm missing the most obvious name in the tournament. England leg spinner. England leg spinner. Oh, Adil Rashid. Correct. He he was most wickets, wasn't he? Yeah. I just some, for some reason the Northern Superchargers just seemed to like I just seemed to forgot about them. I think out of all the teams for some reason like they were just a bit middle ground for me. But he had a great you're season. Not, you're not a fan of the pop chips. Well, they're my favourite crisps, so I, I should well, be remembering. Purple is my Fowler. favourite colour, so I should remember this team really easily. But for some reason they just faded into obscurity for me. Okay, put me out my energy for the rest of the team, will. Uh, we've got Adam Milne, Birmingham Phoenix, Very rocking good. up the bottom. Yeah. 12 wickets at 10.75. So well done. And he, he, was, he was pretty amazing, especially towards the back end. Quick. Do you want to have a quick run through the women's? Do you want to have a guess? Yeah, please. I mean, Van Niekerk has got to be in there. Marazan Cap. Yep. Thing is, that's two internationals out of the way there. I'm guessing they only picked three internationals because that's like... The format, or do they just pick oh, as many as they wanted? I don't think they're obeying the, the rules for this article. How dare they? Okay, Rodriguez, Rodriguez. Yes, opening. Um, yeah, Rodriguez and Van opening. Oh, that's a very that's a potent opening partnership. Not bad. The bowlers. It was the spinners who had a good season. Run me through the rest of the batters. So you got those two opening. You got Sophia Dunkley from Southern Brave at number three. Mm-hmm. Nat Silver from Trent, which makes sense. Amy Jones, Birmingham Phoenix, Stephanie Taylor, Amanda Jade Wellington, part-time leg spinner. Do you want to start guessing from here? You got Trent Rockets. Let me start doing some bowlers. I'll, I'll, again, this is my Birmingham Phoenix coming through. Izzy Wong. Izzy Wong doesn't make it. Ah, she was good. Which man. feels harsh. But you've got another Birmingham Phoenix bowler who apparently took 15 wickets. 15 wickets. Jeez. I'm trying to think now. It wasn't Max Sood, was it? I don't think she took that many. No, didn't take that many. Uh, I think it was the bowling attack. No, tell me. Kirsty Gordon. Oh, of course, she was fantastic. She had a great season. Really, really good. It did Catherine yeah, Brunt one make of, it? One of... Weirdly, no. I thought she was quite good all season. That's, that's well, harsh though. and wisdom, yeah. That feels very harsh to me. Mate. The other one who I believe is leading wicket taker, leading wicket taker with eighteen from the Oval Invincibles, who did play very, very well in the final, um, as well. So fair enough. Uh, Tash Farrant. Mm. 
18 wickets across what eight games? Not well, I guess they played nine games. They might play ten to be fair, but that's still very good. Still very good. Yeah, there's a couple of people missed out on that on both those teams, but not bad from Winston. Well done. Should we talk about the hundred then, just briefly to round it all off? It's been fun, hasn't it, Will? More than anything, there's still a few things to be ironed out, but I've just really, really, really enjoyed it. It's been a good laugh, and I think my moment at the tournament, and you can say yours in a sec, was Tahir's hat trick. That was so cool. That was so so cool. Um, but yeah, it's been fun, and I think it needs its own slot in the summer somehow. It needs to have nothing else going on. It needs to not split the T20 Blast as it has doing. Because we're going to return to T20 Blast now. And we're like, right, hold on. What's going on here? Um, but I think, and I think it's also done what it wanted to do as well, more importantly, with with new fans and big audiences and different TV numbers, etc. Yeah, I think it, it's done its job. And we've got, um, you know, really promising data that does suggest that it's it's finding its audience. We've said on this pod, and you know, anecdotally before that we've kind of known people who aren't that into cricket, but watched a bit of the 100. So it fills that niche. Um, and the numbers do kind of back that up across the whole tournament. 16.1 million TV viewers. Um, no idea how they'll have connected this data, but they're claiming 57% hadn't watched any other live cricket this year which is very impressive, if true. Over half a million tickets sold, of whom 55% had never bought a cricket ticket before. And definitely true, the most attended women's tournament ever. Um, so all, all, all in all, you take that. But very, very good start, I think, from the metrics that we outlined at the start of the tournament. That's that's what you'd call a success. From the playing side of things, I think we've all had similar experiences and there have been phases of it that we've been really, really excited for it and it's going really well. Um for me, that was right at the start. The, the atmosphere at the first game was fantastic. Hopefully, they, they built on that through the whole tournament. Uh, then there was kind of a fallow period in the middle a bit where the test was happening. Lots of the players got taken away. The TV scheduling was a bit dodgier. But then I came back to it towards the end because once you get into the finals, it was all great fun. Um, so I think exactly as you said, the only thing really they need to improve for next season is is getting that specific slot and making sure that it's a slot that there's nothing else competing with it for TV and that it, all the international players, men's and women's, um, can get down for it. Yeah, and I think it's gone well enough that the the big name players who couldn't make it for both the men's and women's uh, series could make it next year, hopefully, you know, COVID depending, etc. But I think it's done enough to attract them to come and play in England for four weeks. Um, those numbers are awesome. And I agree. I remember the buzz after the first game, from yourself included, from being there, but just the buzz around what the 100 was going to be. And I think it delivered, agreed with some some troughs in there. Uh, but having every game on every night as double headers, what it's done for the women's game, figures we've seen, the new people watching the game, the general response from the people already within the cricket industry, commentators, current players, former players, etc. It's all gone very well. So well done, the 100. And if you see our new Twitter bio, at rain.play, uh, no, at rain.pod, excuse me, I always get that wrong. It's just the 100 is a good thing. I think we all agree on that. And I kind of said, you know the Cricket Badger podcast, Will, have you heard of mm. that? It's quite a famous cricket podcast. They hate the 100. They tweeted like they wanted it to rain all day on Saturday. And I was like, they're, they're, they're the problem. That's the, I'm going to start podcast beef, but like their miserable nature around the hundred is the problem. Like, I don't think we had a quite informed discussion about it before it came off, uh, before it started. We're a bit cautious and then liked it and have gone along with it. You know, it's not perfect. Nothing is, but there's still some negativity around, but I think overwhelmingly positive results have, have happened. Yeah, I think that's true. And I, I think we were, we were not alone. In that. I think lots of the sort of, cricket twitter and the sort of the mm, podcast all and that, that, yeah we're, exactly yeah we're all we're all genuinely quite sort of organically pro 100 in a kind of this is very silly way um, it's, it's a laugh and it? it's a good giggle 
Exactly. It's a good gig, and it's, and it's very good for the game in, in certain other ways. There will always be the uh, the uh, naysayers. We're not going to start beef with Cricket Badger because they've. <laughs> when I was doing the Azim Rafiq research, they've done some, several very, very good interviews uh, yeah, with black cricketers on that, on that issue. So we won't start beef with them, Cricket Badger. We love you. Um, but just to bring this pod full back to the data for a second, three years ago, the ECB did a report where it said 82% of ticket buyers to cricket were white males with an average age of 50. So wow. that is your that is your traditional cricket audience. Um, and we don't seem to have any data on BAME response yet, but the average age is under 45, 21% wow. were women, um, and 20% were sold to children. So that does suggest that you know the, the demographics that we said anecdotally from the crowds on the first few episodes, that they were reaching a different audience. That does seem to have happened, um, which could be nothing but good news for diversifying the game and its players going forward. Definitely, great to see, and that was that was the inaugural season. Like, it can only get better from here, right? Clip that for when it goes disaster next year. Well done in the hundred. What a great summer. Uh, okay, let's look really briefly ahead to the Test match, which starts tomorrow, uh, which is Wednesday, um, at Headingley, England versus India. India one nil up in the series, as we know from last week. Love the pod last week, by the way, boys. I know I couldn't be there for it, and it was probably for the best because there had been a lot of bleeping and anger, and you were all quite calm and spoke well about it. Well done. Um, uh, news coming out of England, uh, which broke on Monday, was that Mark Wood won't be fit, and that leaves England's bowling attack even more depleted. So that's going to mean, I think one of Overton or Mahmood will come in. I'd personally rather see Mahmood. I think England will go for Overton. I don't know if you agree with that or not, Will. Uh, but that's the only news coming out of the England of the England camp. Obviously, we haven't been on air since Milan got recalled. And I think this was Glenn's prediction in the last pod, wasn't it, Will, that he said the opening three would be um, uh, Burns, Hamid, Milan, and then he just sounded disconsolate about it. So I wonder how he's feeling ahead of the test match. Well, he named those three and then used the words, God, this is depressing. <laughs> yeah. So I'm looking forward to hearing from him next week after the test. It's it's such a strange one because if you told any of us, I think I don't know when Ringland last in a good place a year ago. <laughs> about a year ago, clip that for the start. Yeah, about a year ago, the three of all three of Dawid Milan, Johnny Bairstow, and Moeen Ali would be playing in the home series against India. I think we'd have thought you were insane, and put that on top of the fact that I think something like only six or seven of the centrally contracted players are actually present for this test match. It's just a bit worrying, A, for form, and obviously there's some injury involved in there with, as well with, you know, Broad and, and now Wood and Stone and Wokes, et cetera, et cetera. But it's just a bit of a strange time for English cricket at the minute, Will, from the test perspective. Like, that top three is horrible, and then a, an injury to a gun bowler like Mark Wood is, is getting a little bit worrying. It is. I'm choosing to see the bright side at this point, because at least it's sort of, exciting and it'll be interesting it it's, prob- be. it's probably more fun seeing an almost completely new top three than if we'd done the the burn sibley crawley brigade again true um, to be fair who knows? We, we were facing down the idea of those three for the next test match i think i'd be more sad and angry so actually no i like that spin very much thank you that's glass half full yeah i think we'd be in danger of shutting down the pod if we had to do five <laughs> tests with that opening three because the, the depression would be too much among the England fans. we'd have to all retire exactly um, and who knows, there may yet be a Hamid century in it for us, which would be good fun. Um, but if we're talking uh, serious looks ahead, India seem to have no new uh, team selection issues. So they'll be pretty right. much the same 11 um, and therefore they'll 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 probably win. Um, yeah, so. Correct. Well, you sound not smug about that. So that's great. I'm glad you're I'm glad everything's OK in the India camp. 
I mean, to be fair, the indie camp was depleted before they've arrived, and they've just kept it going nicely. Um, best case scenario, yeah, like a Hamid, Moeen, Hundreds. Oh. Uh, do you think it'll be Mahmoud or Overton, just out of interest? What do you think you're going to go for? Because that, to my knowledge, that is the only option. They've not called anybody up, because I think Overton and Mahmoud are back up for Wood. It, it makes sense, like, like for like, to go for Mahmoud, because he's, he's out and out pace. Obviously... It, it would be his debut. He's not had a test match yet. And Overton's got a bit of experience and it's probably a bit of a better batsman as well. So they've got to juggle those two things. Yeah, for sure. My guess would be Mahmood, even though in a way Overton makes sense because he was in the squad first. So you'd assume he's the next cab off the rank. Uh, yes. But we said on a previous pod that the bowling lineup looked a little bit too one-paced, um, which I think Overton sort of just gives you more of the same. Um, and I just feel like since, since they've recalled Mahmood to the squad after hearing the rumblings of the Mark Wood news, that makes me feel like they might pump with him. Having Overton and Robinson in the same team is, just doesn't make any sense to me. It's just two carbon copy sort of right arm, 80 mile an hour nippers that can both hold a bat. And that's great for England, but we don't need them both at once, I don't think. So I, I tend to agree and hope England go for that. But yeah, for me, it looks like an India win as well. I hope Milan can get some runs. I, I, just, I just don't know. There's just no solidity here. Will Ollie Pope come back? Is he fit? Where would he come back? Who would he come? It's just a bit sad at the minute. Again, this is what you were missing last week. So it's probably for the best that this is just a little corner at, yeah, the, end we'll, of the, at the end of the podcast. We'll cut here before it gets dark. <laughs> and to really quickly round it off, congratulations to Glamorgan, who won the Royal London One Day Cup final. And that's what I'd like to say about that. Will, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for this little newsy bitty sort of podcast that's covered all the stuff going on in cricket um enjoy the test match this week and i hope that injury heals as as soon as possible as well (laughs) thank you very much i'll talk to you next week yeah enjoy the cricket this week everyone we'll be back next week to review the third test until then thank you very much You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.